Tonight we're going to be in Revelation chapter 17. So if you've got your Bible or um, if you charged your Bible, get it out and turn to Revelation 17. That's where we'll be tonight. Revelation 17. And here we have another interlude, if you will. Uh, basically, um, we have been looking at the final wrath of God, the, the final bowl judgments, and how they're going to um, how they're going to be poured out and what they're going to look like. And then he takes a break for just a second to start focusing on um, and, and we've seen him do this several times. He starts looking at ministry on earth and he starts looking at the activity of Satan on earth and some of the things that that looks like. And so that's what we're getting into in chapter 17 is basically, before he gets into the final coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 19. Because once the final bowls are poured out, and once the battle of Armageddon begins, Jesus comes back and wipes it out as fast as it begins. And, and so before we get to that in Revelation 19, basically what we've got in 17 and 18 are another, is another interlude, if you will, of the activity that Satan is going to be doing here on this earth, um, uh, specifically the what we will call tonight the one world religion that we're going to uh, see a little bit about tonight, and then uh, the one world government also that um, we probably won't get to that tonight. I think that's more in 18 maybe, or the one world economy. But let's uh, just read chapter 17 together, and then we will walk through it and uh, see what the Lord has to say to us. So in verse 1 of Revelation 17, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. And it was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great mother of prostitutes, and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings. Five of these kings have fallen. One king is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. 
And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. And they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, I'm sorry, and the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So, here we get into another very um, complicated uh, passage of Scripture. Many different interpretations of it. Uh, we're going to do our best to go through it. And again, we, we are interpreting this book as futurists. We believe that all that we're reading here in Revelation are events that we are looking forward to, that they are going to come in the future. Uh, and so we're going to interpret it with this pattern, and we're going to see what it has to say to us. But I want you to notice first off, at the end of it, in verse um, 17, I want you to notice the purpose of all of this. Because you have to ask the question, why, why does God allow this to happen? I mean, if God is sovereign, does he, could He not stop a lot of this and change the path of things? And the answer is yes. So, God, what are you doing here? And ultimately, I want you to notice in verse 17, it says, For God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purpose by being of one mind, and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And so one of the things that you're going to see here is that everything that you read, God is actually directing every bit of it. And He is carrying out His purpose and His plans for how He is going to bring evil to a head and how He is going to bring the rebellion against Him to a place that He, wipes it, that he swoops in and just wipes it out completely. But He is going to use this system that we're going to be talking about in Revelation 17 to bring this to pass. Alright? And we'll learn a little bit more about why He's doing it this way from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 here in just a little while. But let's go to Revelation 17 verse 1. And I want you to notice that basically if you, um, if you were to outline this tonight, y'all know I like to... Out it helps me understand things better if I can find a way to outline the information. And so, if I were outlining this tonight, verses 1 through 6, I would outline the picture of the harlot. Um, and the reason I say that is because notice what verse 1 says. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and said, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. And so, this angel we, is one of the angels. We don't know much about this angel. But from chapter 16, we notice that there were seven angels that had been commissioned by God to pour out the final wrath of God on all the world, on all evil in this world. 
one of those angels now steps away from the scene and says, Hey John, come here. If you'll come here, I will show you this picture of the judgment of this woman or this great prostitute as we see here. And so we're going to be able to see some things about this prostitute. Notice in verse 1, first off it says, she is seated on many waters. In other words, she is... What does a seat do for you? Alright, gives you authority over. What else does a seat do for, uh, do for you? Huh? Okay. Anybody else? Supports you. Holds you up, right? It's holding you up. It, you're, this, is a, this is what is supporting you. This is what's keeping you from falling and hitting the ground. And so one of the first things we notice about this prostitute is that she is seated on many waters. There is something that is holding her up and supporting her. So we need to figure out what this is. And if we're going to do that, one of the things I've taught you over the years is use Scripture to interpret Scripture, right? There are many times that we can go back and find an Old Testament reference to these things, especially in a apocalyptic literature. This type of writing and this type of genre, we can usually go back and we can find a, um, a type of symbolism that he's using that he gets from the Old Testament in some way. But in this actual chapter, he pulls it out. If you'll go down to verse 15, the angel actually tells it to you. It, she's seated on many waters. And what are the many waters? People, multitudes, nations, languages. What does that tell you? All the people of the world. There's this prostitute, whatever or whoever she is, she is held up and she is supported by the majority of the world at this time. No matter their language, no matter their nationality, no matter their raising, their background, no matter their, their gender, she is held up and she is supported by many peoples. Alright? And so this is a picture that he's showing her. Alright? And so there's another thing that we learn about her in verse uh, 2 of chapter 17. We learn that the kings of all the earth have laid down with her. And, and, and ultimately we have a picture here of spiritual sexual immorality. And the reason I say that is because this is the same kind of picture that Ezekiel would use in apocalyptic literature in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, he, would, uh, he would accuse Israel of committing adultery on God with other gods of the world. Um, and so we see this picture of, um, of prostitution and of uh, harlotry many times in this type of literature whenever people have forsaken God and they have fallen in, fallen in love and they have begun to, um, to hold up other religions and other faiths or just a rebellion against God in general. So the kings of all the earth, so there's many peoples, right? But then not only just the peoples, but the leaders. The leaders have stepped in with this prostitute, with this woman, and they have decided that they also are going to commit the same immorality with her that she is committing. All right, And, see, and then also, if you were to go to... Um, I, I notice this. Except who in verse 8 of that chapter? That's right. 
And so notice in verse 8, in the middle of it, it says, "...the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come." So again, one of the things that we always learn is that we're looking at a huge majority of the world here. Many waters, multitudes that are involved in this immorality that we're, we're studying about. However, there is always this little remnant over here. This little remnant that stays true to God, that God holds up. And why are they staying true to God according to verse 8? Their names are written in the book since when? before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. Now, if that don't convince you about the, um, the, the omnis- omniscient God, that He is literally all-knowing even before you were born, uh, it's an amazing thing to look at that. But they, they, those people that are written in the book before the foundation of the world, they are not going to be caught up in this immorality that we see here. But the kings of the earth, the multitudes, the people, they are drunk and ultimately... They are infatuated is what you're seeing here. Because notice again in verse 2 what it says. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. So what we see here is that they have drank so much of this immorality. They have taken in so much of these abominations and these ungodly acts that They have become drunk on, they've been infatuated with the immorality that they that that the world is um is consumed with. And then if you'll look in verse 3, you'll notice another thing about this harlot. He says, And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns. And so we also notice here that this harlot or this woman, this prostitute, is also sitting on. And what does that tell you again? That she's supported, she is held up. So if at any time the kings and the people quit supporting her and holding her up, what would happen to this prostitute or this woman? She would fall. But the world keeps her held up. And then not only that, but we see that there is this beast. And we're going to learn that this is the same beast that that we've already studied in Revelation chapter 13, which was who? Does anybody remember who the beast of Revelation 13 was? The Antichrist. The dragon was who? Satan. And so here we have this this figure, this uh, prominent uh, leader that has been given authority by Satan himself, and he is the culmination of every evil leader that there has ever been. He is going to be like a thousand Hitlers in one. He is going to be like the the culmination of Pharaoh from Egypt, Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, uh, I can't remember the Assyrian king, uh, Tigrith Pileser, I believe was his name. He is going to be the culmination of all those as well as um, uh, the Hitlers, the... Um, there you go. You name them. All of these have been antichrist in some way. But this guy that's coming is going to be the final one that Jesus is going to conquer. But before he does, Satan uses this guy and gives over all of his authority, all of his power 
And He is going to be able to perform such deeds and such power that the Bible tells us that great deception is going to come across the world and that God is actually going to send a strong delusion just so the people of the world that will not follow Him will believe it. And they're going to come into alignment. So anybody that is not written in the Lamb's book of life, they are going to be given a strong delusion and they are all going to come together under this leadership of this Antichrist, the kings of the earth, the multitudes, the people, the entire world except for the chosen faithful few are going to come against God in rebellion. Their focus is going to be on Israel as we read in chapter 16. The kings are going to come together with the Antichrist and they're going to make their march on Israel for a final destruction of God's people, God's plan, God's kingdom. Um, Satan is making a final attempt to destroy everything that God has been trying to do, which of course we've been told over and over it's not going to happen, right? Um, And we'll see why that's not going to happen here in just a little bit. But again, we have this woman and she is sitting on the scarlet beast. So this Antichrist is holding this, uh, this prostitute or this woman up. So she's supported by people, she's supported by the leader, the Antichrist of this time. All the kings of the earth are, are supporting her and holding her up. And then in verse 4, I want you to notice, it says, this woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. Now what was purple and scarlet back in these days? Great wealth. Really, royalty, honestly. And so this woman is held in high esteem. She is very prosperous at this time. And then it says that she is adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. And what you see here is whatever or whoever this woman is that is held up by the world and by all the people of it and all the leaders of the world, she is a very prosperous woman. She has uh, royalty, if you will, Uh, She has riches, and then it says the problem with her riches is that she's holding in her hand a golden cup, and it is full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And so that's the problem with this prosperous uh, woman, and we're going to learn a little bit more about what what this is here in just a minute. But then in verse 5, it gives her a name. In verse 5 it says, And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Now, one of the things that that, uh, will help you with some context here is that it was very common in this day and earlier times for prostitutes and harlots to, to write their name either honestly on their forehead or they would have their name posted above above their doors. They proudly displayed um who they were and what they were doing. Because again, this was their business, right? And so this was not something that was uh, um, that they were ashamed of, if you will. They were, very, they were very proud of what they did. And so what she has here is a name written on her forehead, and it's a name of mystery, but it says this. It says, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes, mother of earth's abominations. So this is the one who has given birth to all of the the prostitutes and all of the earth's abominations in this world. And then in verse 6, And I saw the woman, and she was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And so when we try to put all the pieces together to figure this out, again, this is a woman who is a 
a harlot described as a prostitute, which great judgment is coming upon. We know that she is full of abominations and impurities, and she is the mother of prostitutes and the mother of, um, of uh, abominations. Uh, we know that she is held up and supported by the world and by the people of the world, the kings of the world, the, the Antichrist himself during this time. And so we have to ask a question. And then also, we know that she's proud of who she is and what she's done. And then she's drunk with the blood of the saints. So that tells you that she can't get enough of killing the saints, right? She kills and kills and kills and just stays drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask the question, um, what is this woman who is this woman? Well, here's where some Old Testament context comes in. So basically, whenever we go back and we study some of the Old Testament writings, especially apocalyptic literature or uh, uh, prophets like Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a lot to say about it. Uh, for instance, if you were to go to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 20, and hold your place in Revelation and we'll come back to that. And we'll look at several scriptures in the Old Testament so that you can get a gist of what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 20. Listen to what it says. For long ago I broke your yoke and burst your bonds. But you said, I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and under every green tree, you bowed down like a whore. Now, here's what he's talking about here. He's talking about a false religion. He's talking about, I broke your bond. I brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that saved you from oppression and yet you looked at me and said, I will not serve. But instead, you bowed down on every high hill. You bowed down under every green tree. And if you know anything about Old Testament um, idolatry, this is where their high places were. This is where they would build altars and sacrifice to false gods and to um, false uh, deities of various kinds. And so basically, one of the references that we see here is that this was a reference to whoredom. This was a reference to harlotry. What was it? It was the false religion. It was the, um, the false worship. Not the true worship to the right God, but the false worship that they were rendering to another God. And the reason why it, it was, was because they were selling themselves to it. They were giving themselves to this instead of to God. Now go with me to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 1. And then we'll go to verse 6 through 8 just for time, but let's start with verse 1. It says, If a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he then return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers, and would you return to me, declares the Lord. So again, here he's just making reference to the fact that they have, have went out 
and, and um, had relationships with other gods. And so he compares this false worship to, to uh, playing the whore with many lovers. Now skip down with me to verse 6. And we'll go through verse 8. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore? And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with the decree of divorce. And you remember what I've been preaching on Sunday morning? This is where Israel had went so far that God was wiping them out. But Judah still had a chance, alright? But we know that they fell into unbelief and they were still 90% wiped out. But he sent um, Israel away first with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. And so again, what's the point that I'm trying to make? Every reference we go to when God talks about adultery or whoredom or harlotry, especially when He's talking about the people, He's talking about their false worship. He's talking about their false religion. He's talking about um, not serving Him, not worshiping Him, but serving and worshiping another god or various gods of some kind. Uh, Go with me to another example. Look at um, uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse 15. Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 15. And actually, we'll start in verse 13. Exodus 34, starting in verse 13, says, You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram, for you shall shall worship no other god. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after other gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited... You eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after other gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. So again, you see the point that I'm making? It's no matter where you go in the Old Testament, the reference to whoredom, the reference to harlotry, is um, the fact that they are going into a false religion. They're going into a false worship. Instead of worshiping the Lord their God, they are worshiping some other type of God in some way, or a false God, if you will. Something that's not even a God. And I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to ask you to turn here, but you could look at Leviticus 17, verse 7. You could look at Leviticus chapter 20, verse 4 through 7. You could look at Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 32. We could go on and on. Again, all I'm trying to do is reaffirm to you that the way that we're going to interpret who this woman is who this prostitute, if you will, is, that is held up by all the people, right? The multitudes, the nations, the languages, uh, held up by all the kings of the earth that have committed um, sexual immorality with her, 
held up by the beast or the Antichrist. Um, and so, what is this woman? You tell me. The one world religion. That's exactly right. And I'm sure that you've heard of it before, but this is where it comes from. There is going to be, in the end times, there is going to be a one world religion that is going to try to combine all the religions of the world. And now one of the reasons why this is called Babylon the Great and where this name comes from is because the very first place that the one world religion originated was the city of Babel. If you'll remember, the people all came together with one mind, with one mouth, and they said, let us make for ourselves a city and make a name for ourselves. Let us build a tower whose, whose top reaches into the heavens. Let, uh, and you could go back to Genesis chapter 11 and see this, but here's the point. They all came together for a single purpose, and that purpose was to reject God. This is the reason why when you go from Genesis chapter 11 in the city of Babel, and what did God do to them to stop them from coming together and working for a purpose that was walking away from Him? He made it to where they couldn't communicate. They could not come together. They could not be of one mind and one mouth for this purpose. Why? Because this purpose was they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to, they wanted to make a city for themselves. They wanted a tower that the world would look at and talk about their glory and who they were. And what does God do in the next chapter of Genesis chapter 12? He calls Abraham and He says, Come out from your people, come out from your father's land, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And then you shall be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And everybody that blesses you, I will bless. And everybody that curses you, I will curse. You know the story. Here's the point. The original one world religion was Babel which is where we get all the other religions of the world because when God dispersed those people, guess where they went? All over the world. And this is where they begin to worship these gods and these gods and these gods. And then you had Babylon that came out of that. You had Persia. You had Assyrians. You had, um, you had Greece. You had, you had all of these places of the world that originated from Babel, this one world religion, and one day what's going to happen in um, Revelation 17 is in the end days, God is going to allow, led by the Antichrist, He's going to allow all of these religions to come together into one. And we are actually seeing some of that take, that take place today. Y'all ever heard, I was talking to Anel about it earlier tonight, y'all ever heard of an organization called Coexist? Go look up there, the, just look up Coexist on, on your phone. You can do it now if you want to. But their logo will come up. And it is the symbol of the uh, crescent moon for the Muslims. It is the symbol for, um, I think, LGBTQ. It is the symbol for uh, Jews, the Star of David. It is the symbol for um, the cross, Christians. It, there are several different symbols in this thing. And the point is that this foundation's whole purpose is to bring together all of the religions of the world so that we can coexist. 
Because according to their mindset, we're all trying to serve the same God anyway. And how many of you know that there's no truth to that whatsoever? Unfortunately, Jesus said, I did not come here to bring peace. I came here to bring a sword. In other words, I'm going to separate a mother from her son. I'm going to separate a father from his daughter. I'm going to separate husband and wife. Now, why would he say that? Is Jesus all about separating marriages? No. What he was talking about was when it comes to him and him alone and standing by him, believing in him, following him, you are either following him who is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him, or you're not. I'm sorry. I know we now I'm not telling you that we are to turn into what many Christians have done over the years and we're to go out and hate other religions and try to kill them and try to get rid of them. Uh, you know, the Catholicism took that route during uh, during the uh, 14 and 1500s, but we're not to take that route. But I am here to tell you that we are not going to be able to coexist with other religions. It can't happen. And if you are coexisting with other religions, it's because you are not following the way, the truth, and the life. Because if you do follow Him, and if you are lining up with Him, you will not line up with everything else. It's just that simple. And that's exactly what Jesus said. So what we're looking at here in this woman is we're looking at the one world religion that all of them are going to be brought back together and it's going to be supported by the Antichrist himself. And we're going to see a little bit more about him here as we continue on. It's going to be supported by all the people and the multitudes of the world. And it is going to be, it is going to be a great um, adulterous prostitute that's being held up by all of these people it's going to be a false religion. And basically what you have here, here's one of the reasons why we have the prostitute. Because the bride is the church. The true church. The prostitute is the false church. And so basically you're going to have the true church, who is the bride, which is a very small minority. And then you're going to have the prostitute, who is the false church. And if you'll remember from Revelation 13, the false prophet of the Antichrist is going to be the one leading this up. He is going to be the one building this and putting all this together. And, um, and then somewhere along the way, about midway probably, we're going to see that the Antichrist and the kings that are together are going to turn on this woman. They're going to turn on this false religion. You know why they do that? Because you remember it said that He lifts Himself up to be the only one worshipped. And if anyone does not worship Him, what happens to them? They are killed. If they don't take His mark and they don't take His seal, then they are um, not going to be able to buy or sell. And again, ultimately martyred for their faith. And so He's going to be drunk with the blood of the saints uh, when He turns on her. So we're going to see all that play out here in just a few minutes. but. In uh, verse 7, we see, or at the end of verse 6, we see that John wondered at this right here. He says, when I saw her, when I saw the picture of this harlot, I marveled greatly. And, and some of your other translations may say, I wondered greatly. In other words, 
he, was, he, he just sat there and just really thought about it and considered it and looked at it and just marveled at it and wondered at it. And then in verse 7, But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. <clears throat> and so what we've got right here is we've got, if you're outlining this, verses 7 through 13 is the picture explained. So you had the picture of the harlot in verses 1 through 6, and then in verse 7 through 13 you have the picture explained. And so he's going to try to lay out an explanation of what this picture is. And in verse 8 he says this, The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction, and the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Now this explanation takes you all the way back to Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 through 8. So go back there with me, and we'll see an explanation of this beast again. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. We'll go through verse 8. And remember, this beast carries the woman, right? This beast supports her. This, this um, holds her up. It says in verse 1 of chapter 13, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads. So this is the same beast, right? Thank you. <clears throat> it says, And it had ten diadems or crowns on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And so what we see here is this picture of this um, same beast that's carrying this woman, the same picture that we have painted in Revelation chapter 17. So we know as we go down through here, we're talking about the same exact beast. And then we go into verse 2 of Revelation 13. And it notice, notice that it says, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. So does that mean it was a leopard? It was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And there again, if you were to go back to um, Daniel chapter 7, I believe it is, we get the world powers that are described as um, a leopard, which I believe the leopard was uh, Greece, if I remember right. Uh, we get the bear which I believe was the Medo-Persia Empire at that time. And again, all of these are false religions that were all, God was always using to come in and uh, discipline His people, if you will. He was always using them as His tools for judgment. But they were ruthless empires. And they were antichrists, if you will. And so the leopard was Greece, a one-world empire. The bear was um, Medo-Persia Empire. The uh, line was the Babylonian Empire. And you can find all this again in Daniel chapter 7. But the, the point being is this. This beast is like the leopard. So it's like the empire of Greece and the way Greece um, came in and, and took over the world um, and created all the Greek mythology and the false religions that you, you still uh, hear about and read about and watch on TV, Zeus and uh, Athena and all of those false gods. But then you have uh, this beast is like the, um, the bear, which again was the Medo-Persians. And, um, 
and, and the Persians also were a ruthless empire that also had false gods that, that, that they followed. And then he is like the, um, um, what was the last one? The lion. He had a mouth like the lion, so he is like the, um, he is like the, the Babylonian empire. And again, the same way, had false gods and false religions that they followed. And so basically what we're seeing here is that this beast is a leader of some kind that is like all of these major empires of the world that have been combined into one person. You remember I told you a little while ago that it's like um, this guy's going to be like a thousand Hitlers in one? You think Hitler was bad? Wait till you see this guy. There's th this guy, that's the reason I believe why he's described as a beast. And then it goes on, and notice what else it says in verse 2 of 13. And to this beast, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. So there's another thing that we learn about this beast. This beast is also, he's a leader that is a ruthless leader, just like the, the leaders of old empires. But he is also one that Satan himself has given this guy his power. His great authority. His throne, if you will. And so, this guy is heavily, demonically influenced. And then, if you were to keep on going with me in verse 3, notice that um, it says, one of its heads, remember it had uh, seven of them, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And so... Just one of the heads, seven of them, seem to have a mortal wound. What is a mortal wound? Death, right? So it appeared that he died, right? But all of a sudden, he comes back to life. And so what many believe here is that this Antichrist is going to experience some type of a resurrection, because again, he's a copycat, right? And what did Jesus do? He died and He was raised from the dead. And so many believe that in some way, this Antichrist, when He comes, empowered by Satan, He is going to experience some type of a death in some way, and yet He is going to come back to life in some way, and the world is going to marvel at it. Now you think about it. Go with me for a second to 2 Thessalonians. Hold your place in Revelation 13. Go to 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 9. <clears throat> because Jesus spoke about this Antichrist, Paul spoke about this Antichrist, John spoke about this Antichrist, Peter spoke about this Antichrist. This is not anything new. And so in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, notice it says, The coming of the lawless one, and here we're talking about the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth, and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion, 
so that they may believe what is false, in order that all of them may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So there again, one of the things that we see from the teachings of Paul is that God is going to allow the power of Satan to indwell this guy to the point that God Himself is going to send a strong delusion. So it very well could be that this guy literally dies and comes back to life. But the thing is, it's going to cause everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life to marvel at this guy. And when this happens, many are going to start to believe that He is God. He is the Christ. And I believe it's at that point that He will raise Himself up to be uh, worshipped as we read about and studied about in Daniel and also in Revelation chapter uh, 12 or 13, I believe it was. And so I believe that what you're going to see is that this guy is going to come in at the beginning of the tribulation because we read about that in Revelation chapter 6. He comes in on a white horse. You remember that? Acting like Christ. He comes in and um, he brings a false peace. And so at the beginning of the tribulation, it's like He brings everything together. And then we have this one world religion that's created and peace on earth it looks like. And then somewhere along the way, something happens about midway to where this guy receives a mortal wound in some way. He possibly actually dies. Then, in some way, he is brought back to life. And when that happens, I believe that is the moment that the world marvels at Him. They begin to worship Him. He sets Himself up. Anybody that does not worship Him. And as they worship Him, they're actually worshiping Satan. Keep reading with me. Go back with me to Revelation 13. Revelation 13 beginning in verse... uh, Where did we get to? Verse 3. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. But its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped who? The dragon. How? For he had given his authority to the beast. And so even though they were worshipping the beast, ultimately, who were they worshipping? Satan has found a way to receive the worship of the world. Alright? And then keep reading with me. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Now what else would lead an entire world of people to be deceived by such a person other than to me some type of a false resurrection? Something happens in this guy's life that God allows it to take place in a strong delusion according to Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, right? A strong delusion is sent onto this world. And anyone that is not a faithful follower of Jesus Christ is going, to, is going to be deceived by this. And they are going to follow this guy. No way around it. God has already ordained that it's going to take place, and it is going to take place. And then notice in verse 5 of chapter 13, And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. So again, for 42 months, three and a half years, And there are seven years of tribulation, right? The first three and a half years seemed like like a peaceful time of uh, this one world religion and this this, uh, prostitute, if you will, that is held up by all the people and held up by the kings and held up by the Antichrist. 
And then, after 42 months, he takes great authority and he turns on this false religion and he raises himself up and he becomes the, the one world religion, religion at that point. And we'll see that if you were to um, go back to Revelation 17 again. And notice we'll just walk through it here. <clears throat> Revelation chapter um, 17, and we will begin in verse um, 10, or actually verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. And one of the things that we see in that is that first off, it takes wisdom to understand this, he said. So we may get this and we may not get this, but I believe that we can pick out a few things. One thing that we can know for certain is that Rome was called the city on seven hills. And so it is very likely that he is referring to Rome being part of the Antichrist or the, at least the, um, the city of the Antichrist maybe. And then it says that, and the woman is seated on this. That's the reason why many, and I'm not saying this, but that's why many believe that... Um, it's going to come from Catholicism in some way because that's where um, Catholicism has its base at, is, is in Rome. And so um, there, there are many that believe that. I, I don't know that to be true, and I'm not saying that. But then it says, "...they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come." Now, if seven kings are represented in this beast here, and we told you earlier that he's like the lion, which was one kingdom. He's like the bear, like the um, leopard, with the, all these kingdoms, all right? Well, there were, um, I think, seven major kingdoms, if I remember right. Is that right? Seven major kingdoms back in time. The first two kingdoms, the first one was Egypt. Y'all remember Egypt? Pharaoh, of course, was an antichrist. The, another one was Assyria. That's the one we're talking about now. Uh, on Sunday mornings. And then another one was Babylon, another one was Persia, another one was Greece. And so there are five kingdoms. And notice what it says here about these seven. It says in verse 10, they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. And those five would have been Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. Those kingdoms had all fallen at this time. But notice what he says next. One king still is Rome. In John's time, Rome still was. And y'all know what the emperors of, um, of Rome did to Christians. Again, Antichrist. Um, they uh, destroyed the city of Jerusalem just like all the rest of them did. And then notice what he says next. And the other has not yet come. During John's time, this other king had not yet come. And I believe that he's talking about the final human Antichrist will be the last king that makes up this beast that he saw. The beast is made up of all of the Antichrist of old. Y'all see what he's doing here? But what John and what this angel is telling him is that the one that is yet to come is the one that is still going to be just like all of these others and he is going to be the culmination of every Antichrist 
that there has ever been. Why? Because He comes in all the authority and all the power of Satan. And then notice what it says about Him. And when He does come, He must remain only a little while. And if you were to go back to Revelation 13, He must remain exactly 42 months, which again is only a little while, three and a half years. And so in verse 11, it says next, As for the beast that was and is not, and the reason why it says that, I believe it's talking about his resurrection here. He was, but he is not. It is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven. Now I know that's confusing, but again, all he's saying here is this. As for the beast, it is actually an eighth king, but it belongs to the seven. So again, I believe all he's saying here is that he is the culmination of all of them involved. Now again, the Bible tells us this calls for wisdom. I'm not telling you that I'm very wise in this. So could I be misinterpreting this? Yes, I could be. Uh, But I do believe that when we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, we can put some pieces together and at least get a gist of, of what may be going on here. So I may miss the mark on that one just a little bit, but notice another thing it says about it in verse 11. And it goes to destruction. So again, we know that this is what Jesus called the son of perdition, what Paul called the son of destruction. He's not going to fall like these other kingdoms did. He's going to be destroyed by Jesus Christ Himself. And so this is the final antichrist of what we're looking at. And then in verse 12, And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. So again, in this future time when this Antichrist arises, the ten um, horns that you saw on this beast represent ten kings that have not yet come to power. But they are going to come to power. Many believe that the world, if you will, is going to be split up into ten zones and ultimately is going to have ten kings over them, and these kings are going to, again, um, they look at the false religion, they look at the Antichrist, they're all supporting it all together, and they all are of one mind, and we've got this one world religion coming back together. And then in verse 13, these are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. So ultimately, who is the king of the world at this point? The Antichrist. He is the king of the world. He has deceived the entire world. And they all follow him. And he has a confederacy with these other ten kings. But they do whatever he says. And then in verse 14, here's what they do. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is... Here's why the Lamb conquers them. He's Lord of lords. He's king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, or the ten kings, you remember, that give their power to the Antichrist, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. You see what just happened? At some point, they were holding her up right? She was seated on them. At some point, this one world religion collapses. We don't coexist anymore. And at some point, they turn on this world religion 
And I believe what happens here is this is the moment that we've studied about where the Antichrist raises himself up to be God and to be worshipped. And so I believe that's what we see happen right here. And they will make her desolate and naked, and they will devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. And why are they going to do this? Because God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over all the kings of the earth. So again, here's here's the point that I would make in this. I believe that what this is trying to teach us is that in the last days, there is going to be a coming together of all religions. Something that we're really starting to see happen right now, believe it or not. Um, Now, how long is it going to take for that to happen? I don't know. Yes, ma'am. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, the Pope is big on the one world religion right now. And that's the reason, again, why there are many that believe that a Pope is going to be the Antichrist. Again, I'm not saying that. I, I, I really ain't. I, I don't know. Um, and I think it's a little premature to, to say that. But... That's right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's what I'm. Uh, that's one of the things I think we need to acknowledge here is that these this stuff we're reading is not far fetched. It may have been years ago when the people were looking at it. Today, I really think that we're seeing more and more of it take place every day that goes by. No, that's right. So again, I think that um, I think that what you've got here is this one world religion that we're going to see begin to come together in some way. And I believe that it's going to be a great deception. Many people of the world are going to follow it. Uh, there are going to be many people of the world that are all, all about coexisting. And, um, and it's going to seem like a real religion. They're going to feel like that they're really loving people and, and they're going to be um, walking in the truth. And yet, what they're doing is they're holding up a prostitute. Right, just yeah. We just need to meet people where they are. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's the mindset of, of a lot of a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And I, that's what I say. You look it up when you get home, and, and it's just I, coexist may fall apart tomorrow, for all I know. But it is interesting that you have foundations like that right now. That their sole purpose is to try to bring all religions of the world together. Yeah, yeah. It started out as the Muslims with the crescent moon, the Jew, the Star of David, and the Christian cross is where it started out. 
Since then, it has added the um, LGBT. Uh, it's added a lot of stuff to it since then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. I mean, it, it's just um, it's not far fetched. That's all I'm going to say. And um, here's what the takeaway I would get today is that um, praise God if we are still here when this happens. Praise God. If your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it don't make any difference. However, are you likely to die for your faith? Yeah. And so, I guess it would be a good idea to figure out well, how much you really believe this. <laughs> yeah. No. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And let me end with this. All of this is God's plan. This is the way that He is going to bring all evil together. And He is going to bring all evil against Him so that in the end, He wipes them all out together. That's right. And so again, that's something to think about. This is not, these are not things that are outside of God's will. These are things that God is actually ordaining and making take place. Right. No, none. Yeah, God. They they built a tower that's top reached into the heavens, and then God said, "Let's go down there and see this thing they've built." <laughs> we gotta we gotta go down here just to see it. Right. All right. Yeah. The uh. uh Yeah, and that's where again, that's one interpretation of it is that people believe that that the mortal wound is actually Rome itself. And again, it could be. You know, that's the reason why a lot of this stuff is future, and we don't really know how it's exactly the details of it are going to play out. But um, we go through it and look at it, do the best we can at trying to line it up with other scripture, and um, and and just again, I think the point is for us to be able to see it, be aware of it, and to um, Hopefully we're not going to be here, but if you are, to be ready. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it started in Genesis 11 and then God dispersed it and then you're going to see it all come back together again for God to finally destroy it. Yeah. All right. Any questions? Thank you all for your patience. And uh, I hope that you're getting something out of it. Um, I believe you are. I believe the good Lord is going to give you something out of it. But um, uh, we got just a few more chapters to cover and we'll, we'll be out of Revelation. <laughs> we'll get into something else. Yeah. 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 A little. That's right. That's right. Just enough. All right. Well, thank you all again. And uh, let's close in a word of prayer and you'll be dismissed. Father, we come to you tonight. We just say thank you again for your word. God, thank you for showing us the things that must take place soon. Father, I just ask that um, 
Lord, whatever purpose that You have for us studying this Word tonight, that we would um, look for ways that it would apply to us, God. Lord, I know that You Yourself told us that many false Christs will appear saying, here He is, there He is, but don't go. Um, uh, that like the lightning that flashes from the east to the west, so will be the coming of the, uh, of the Son of Man. And Father, I know that when You come, Lord, we're going to know who You are. Father, we're going to know that it is You. And Father, I just pray, God, that um, Lord, You would help us to keep our focus on You, to keep waiting on You, and Lord, to no matter what comes in this world, no matter what kind of suffering we have to endure, uh, Lord, even if it's a, a, a terrible death, Lord, I pray, God, that we would be willing to endure it, uh, knowing that there is a reward waiting for us that is unimaginable. And Father, I just pray, God, that You would give us confidence in You, Lord, that um, we would just continue to, to just keep our hope in You and You alone. God, again, I just thank You for, for showing us things like this, and I just ask You to help us figure out, uh, Lord, what do we do with it? How do we apply it to our life? And God, we're just going to keep, keep listening to You, keep learning from You. And Lord, I know that um, every little bit we learn about You will grow a little bit more. Father, we love You. Go with us now as we go home, and I just pray that You'd keep us all safe. And uh, Lord, we can get back together and do it again Sunday if it be Your will. Lord, we love You. We praise You. Lord, you, you are so good. You're everything to us. And we ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.